Welcome to Talks at GS, where leading thinkers share insights and ideas shaping the world. This session of Talks at GS was recorded before a live audience. Welcome to Talks at GS. I'm Rob Sweeney. I run our consumer retail business and banking. I'm thrilled to welcome Neil Blumenthal, Dave Gilboa, the co-founders, co-CEOs of Warby Parker. So let me start at the beginning, as we often do. And having gone to Wharton, every time I ask you this story, I, I, I'm hit with a pang of, um, of guilt or inferiority that I didn't somehow accomplish more while I was there. How did you guys conceive of this idea and actually pull it together uh, while you're worried about your next, your next class? Um, so, uh, you know, I think the best businesses solve real problems um, and the beauty of, of business school where uh, we were constantly uh, talking about business problems or even uh, our, our own sort of uh, consumer challenges. Um, Dave happened to be complaining about losing a $700 pair of glasses in the seat pocket of an airplane um, about uh, a couple weeks before school had started. Um, Jeff similarly uh, had a pair of glasses that were in desperate need of replacement. Um, Andy was sort of mentioning like, why isn't anybody selling glasses online? Um, and this- And why uh, is it such a pain in the neck? And why is it <laughs> such a pain in, in the neck? And, and this was um, in uh, winter sort of 2008 when uh, Zappos uh, was demonstrating that you could sell shoes online, which nobody thought anybody could do. Um, it was when Blue Nile yeah. uh, was starting to sell uh, rings and, and fine jewelry that nobody thought could be sold online. Um, and prior to, to school, um, I had run a nonprofit social enterprise that trained low-income women to start their own businesses, um, giving vision tests and selling glasses in their communities in the developing world. Um, so if there was one thing that I could personally talk about, <laughs> it, it, it was this. Um, and we just, the four of us got super excited and then we started to actually take classes um, that we thought could be helpful as we explore the idea. So business school is like the perfect environment for this. Tell me about the name, because we have a lot of clients that spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in, in surveys, and they come up with some crazy names for some of our, some of our clients. Uh, tell us about Warby Parker. How'd you come up with it? Yeah, so um, yeah, at, at the time, there were um, you know, less than 1% of glasses were sold online uh, back in 2008, 2009. Uh, but there were some sites that were selling glasses. Um, the, some of the biggest ones were $39glasses.com, um, ibuydirect.com, framesdirect.com, that, um, really focused on price um, as the key differentiator um, uh, at the expense of customer service, um, uh, quality products, and, um, and we wanted to, to build a business where um, our customers wouldn't have to make any sacrifices, that they would get the highest quality products um, in a convenient way, um, but at, um, at, at a value that made sense. Yeah. Um, and so we didn't want to just compete on price, and, and we wanted our name to reflect that uh, we were actually launching a fashion brand, and that design um, was a core part of, of our offering. Um, and so we wanted a proper name to connote the fact that um, uh, that we had this this brand. And we didn't think Gilboa Blumenthal really rolled off uh, the tongue. Um, so uh, we spent a lot of time um, talking about authors or artists that we felt represented the brand ideals, uh, including the Beat Generation writers in particular. Uh, and coincidentally, the uh, New York Public Library had an exhibit on Jack Kerouac's uh, private journals, and so went to that exhibit, and he had written about characters with interesting names that never made it into any of his published works, um, two that uh, caught our eye in particular were Warby Pepper and Zag Parker, 
Um, and so we decided to combine the two and, and make it our own. Um, and the URL was available for nine dollars, which was also helpful. <laughs> yeah, thirty-nine dollar lens is already taken, so you went with that. Um, Neil, you talked about your your, uh, your background prior to Warby Parker, and let's talk about um, buy a pair, give a pair, because it's become such an iconic part of your, of the ethos of the brand and the customer proposition. And and today, doing well by doing good is sort of like page two of the startup playbook, but, but it was really innovative at, at the time. What was your original motivation, and did you ever expect it would become such an important competitive advantage or, or important ethos of the brand? You know, uh, from the get-go, right, we were building a, a brand because we felt brands could impact sort of culture um, and, and the country and ho hopefully the, the world um, because brands are a point of view. Mm -hmm. um, and our thought was always like, how do we provide vision to the world, right? We're gonna do this figuratively through, through glasses, um, but we also wanted to do it, uh, I, I mean, literally, literally we did it through glasses and then we all wanted to do it figuratively as well to demonstrate that you could actually build a business, um, uh, scale, be profitable, um, and do good without charging a premium for it. Mm -hmm. uh, when our, you know, that was our sort of vision. Um, our motivation uh, was really simple. It's just what's going to motivate us to wake up in the morning and, and not turn around and, and hit the snooze button and, and go to work every day. And that was having a positive impact. So we would have these debates. What's the most effective way to do that? Should we donate a percent of revenue, a percent mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. profits? Oh, well, there's roughly a billion people on the planet that don't have um, uh, access to glasses. Okay, well, let's provide glasses. How should we do that? Should that be a percent of revenue, percent of profits like a lot of companies do. Um, and we thought, you know what, at the end of the day, it's, it's not the dollar amount. It's actually this physical product on somebody's face that enables them to see so uh, they can further their education or they can work and be more productive and earn, earn more for, for their family. Um, and we thought that by committing a pair for every pair that we sell, um, that would uh, be easier for people to understand, especially consumers, um, and also would be so integral to the brand that if for some reason uh, we were no longer running the company, that it would be uh, really difficult for somebody to, to take that out of the brand. Yep. Whereas yep. right, a percent of revenue or profits can always be manipulated a, a little bit. Um, We've now, uh, proud to say, have distributed um, several million pairs of, of glasses to, to people in need. Uh, I don't think we were ever under the illusion, though, that that was going to be the reason why people bought yeah. from us. Because yeah. um, all of our co uh, consumer research showed, hey, people care first and more foremost. How do these look on my face? Yeah. Um, price, quality, service not really the social mission, yeah, um, yeah. but one of the things that was abundantly clear uh, was that it's the number one reason why people come and work for Warby yeah. Parker. Yeah. So in an incredibly tight labor market, um, there's actually strong business rationale to be mission driven. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's one thing to have culture when you're, you're, you're 12 people, 40 people, 50 people. How do you protect it? How do you nurture it? How do you scale it as you become 50 plus retail locations and you know thousand or or, or ten thousand employees? Hopefully, um, I think what we try and do is uh, articulate and document uh, 
as much as possible what do we believe and, and try and uh, over communicate that whether it's our core values like inject fun and quirkiness yep. um, and, into everything that we do um, and then uh, really you know, design our recruiting and our interview process around uh, identifying folks that already believe the values yep. that the company espouses because it's a lot easier when uh, folks have already self-selected to, to come to Warby Parker and, and and um, uh, be believe uh, what we believe, which we think are generally universal, but um, we, we try and spend a lot of time sort of thinking about that. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it does get a little more difficult as we now have an office in Nashville, in addition to here in New York, uh, an optical lab um, about an hour outside the city where we cut the lenses, insert them into the frames. We now have uh, about 90 stores, um, uh, but, you know, you just create systems that uh, hopefully can scale. And um, at the end of the day, it all comes down to the, the people we hire. Yeah, expanding it. Interesting. Um, let's, let's talk about retail for a second, because a few years ago, all, all the um, smart money was saying retail is dead, and uh, I think you went against that conventional wisdom, started opening retail stores, now approaching 100 retail stores. What's the future of retail in, 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 um, in I guess, Dave, your assessment as you guys think about Warby Parker in the future? Yeah, so we tell our team that retail's not dead, mediocre retail is dead. Um, and and uh, yeah, every day you're reading about uh, kind of a legacy retailer that um, is going through bankruptcy or shutting down stores. Um, now sometimes um, there are you know, circumstances where there's kind of too much leverage on those businesses and they weren't able to, uh, to adapt. Many of them have also um, really just not, um, not change their consumer offering um, in a world that is changing faster than ever, where consumers have more choice than ever. Um, and we're finding that um, our, uh, our customers love uh, going into our stores. We have 88 stores now, we'll open another 30 this year. Uh, physical retail is driving a massive part of our top line and bottom line growth. Um, and um, our consumers um, love the, love the experience, and I think that comes down to having um, an offering where it's a product that uh, people want to buy that offers great value. Um, the uh, experience of the store um, is thoughtfully laid out so that uh, it can be convenient for people that um, want kind of a, a, a quick um, experience, and um, we have a staff that's friendly that can be super helpful for those that want a more guided experience. Uh, recognizing that these uh, customer journeys are, are much more uh, complex than, uh, than I think most retailers realize, where 75% of people that buy something in our store have been to our website first, and mm -hmm. so it's not mm -hmm. uncommon for someone to learn about us um, online, download our app, create a list of favorites, go into our store, want to try on a few frames, and then want their uh, husband or wife's uh, opinion, and so they don't check out in the store, but they have our advisor take a photo of them wearing the frames, um, select the frames that they're wearing, uh, get an email, uh, that's one click add to cart when they come home, um, and then they can close that transaction. Um, now most uh, traditional retailers don't have the systems to know that that store actually played a really important assist in that transaction that happened mm -hmm. online and probably um, you know, that customer might not have transacted um, had that store not been been there. Uh, but we also it also enables us to um, not have our team kind of pressure um, customers into closing a sale right. um, while they're right in front of them. But think about what makes sense uh, for for customers. And so uh, we think that kind of this view of um, 
of retail will become more prevalent and that um, brands are gonna need to have a presence online and offline. The world's not black and white. Consumers don't think in terms of channels and um, they, uh, they're gonna wanna have a relationship with, with brands that uh, is accessible, whether that's by pulling out their phone or walking uh, into a neighborhood where they typically shop. And, yeah, yeah. and so uh, really focused on um, offering the, the best integrated uh, experience yeah. possible. It surprises me that the company was founded a year before Instagram was founded because a lot of your expression comes through social media. So I guess my question is, how, how is Instagram, it feels so interwoven to your communication now, to your consumer, any lessons learned, anything you would have done differently, anything uh, about that evolution as you've grown up together that in hindsight surprise you or, or looking back you say you would have done differently? Yeah, I think all these technology platforms, right, are just, uh, leveraging existing human behavior, right? Um, people uh, want to talk about uh, great experiences. Yep. Um, it's delightful when something's uh, unexpectedly positive. Um, and we've always wanted to create uh, branded experiences um, that do put a smile on, on someone's face. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, from the get-go, um, right, our stores were designed to functionally be the best eyeglass stores in the history of the world, right? Having basics like glasses at eye level, um, not having too many frames on one shelf that can be overwhelming, having full length mirrors instead of little crappy like vanity mirrors. Um, and then we layer on, um, okay, well, what is the aesthetic of the brand? Well, as Dave mentioned, right, the name comes from two early Jack Kerouac characters. There's just strong literary yeah. um, uh, thread that runs through the brand. Th those characters were discovered in the main branch, uh, New York Public Library. Um, how do we take elements from great libraries into uh, our stores by having book stacks? Um, how do we add dimensionality uh, by working with local artists to put artwork in the store that is optimistic and, and happy? And lo and behold, um, it makes people smile, but it's very uh, uh, photogenic. Yeah, um, so yeah. in the age of Instagram, it's been um, a great opportunity uh, for us. Um, and I think the other great thing about Instagram is um, it's actually enabled us to talk to multiple different audiences. So not just our customers, uh, but also now that we have this distributed uh, workforce and team, we can actually speak yeah. to our team members through, through Instagram by um, showing more behind the scenes of what people are doing, what even different departments are, are doing. Yeah. Um, so. Some of these tools have been super awesome. Um, you know, one of the things that we just launched um, on our uh, iPhone app uh, is a virtual try-on. Yep. Um, and we've been waiting for uh, this technology to emerge um, where the True Depth, Apple True Depth camera, um, where we can actually measure someone's face, um, present a pair of glasses on their face that's true to scale, that sits properly based on your nose bridge and a bunch of other measurements, that um, the visualization is accurate. Um, and at the heart of it, right, the technology is super awesome, um, but it solves a real problem in that people want to make sure that glasses fit their yeah, face. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're just really excited about um, all these platforms uh, when they're used properly. Yeah, I do want to touch on that because that you've been described as the Netflix of, of, of eyewear and, and the analogy does hold where you were giving five pairs and keep, you know, keep the one you want, send them back the way we're getting, well, some of us getting, you know, VHS or, 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 or Blockbuster, you know, DVDs to now truly digitally delivering a try-on experience. Most of what we talked about so far has been retail brand. Let's talk about technology because the data science that you're using, the audio, augmented reality tools that you're, you're describing, 
the prescription uh, technology is, is, a, is a key part of it. Uh, can we talk about what the future on, on the technology side looks like for, for Warby Parker? Yes, and generally, um, you just uh, think about opportunities where we can leverage technology to solve customer problems and reduce friction um, in, in the shopping process. And, um, and one of the biggest advantages that we have is, as a brand is that uh, we are direct to consumer, so we have all those uh, touch points. We get so much feedback from our, our customers, both um, we survey every single customer. Um, one of the metrics that we track closely is net promoter score, which mm -hmm. is a measure of customer satisfaction. Our NPS is 86. Um, and um, and uh, through um, all those uh, interactions and uh, qualitative feedback we hear from our store advisors and from our CX advisors who are engaging with customers on the phone and over text and uh, live chat, um, we're able to identify um, areas where uh, we're doing a really great job of serving customers and, and areas where people continue to be frustrated. And, um, and uh, two of the biggest um, areas of frustration historically have been um, one, finding uh, the right frame that, that fits your face, uh, particularly if you're um, um, not close to a store. And so I'm super excited to, to launch this virtual try-on uh, a couple weeks ago, and I feel like the technology uh, in the new iPhones is finally good enough to deliver uh, a true-to-scale and accurate representation. Uh, the, uh, another area that uh, we uh, continue to hear frustration around is getting new prescriptions. Um, so. Um, especially for people that know that they can see perfectly fine out of their existing pair of glasses or contacts. Um, they want to get a new frame to update their look. Um, and they place an order with us or try to, uh, and we can't fill their order because their prescription's expired. Um, and uh, so we said, well, what are the elements of uh, an eye exam? Um, you walk into a room, you sit in a chair that is a certain distance away from a screen. There are objects displayed on that screen. You indicate what you can see well and what you can't. Um, can we bring this into kind of the modern world? And so um, we uh, spent a couple years and, and developed uh, an app that we call Prescription Check that you can download. Um, and we patented some technology that you can pair your phone to any screen that you have in your home. Um, and with that, we know the exact distance that you're standing away from that screen. Um, and so we'll ask you to take a certain steps back, a certain number of steps back away from that screen. Uh, we'll display objects of a known size on that screen. Um, use your phone to, um, as a remote to indicate what you can see well and what you can't. Um, and then we have an ophthalmologist who's licensed in your state um, who can review those results remotely and write you a prescription. Um, and so that's just um, one example where um, we saw a real need um, and we thought we were in kind of a, a unique position uh, to actually bring new technology uh, to light to help enhance that, that experience for our customers. Um, uh, and then, you know, we, we also um, think a lot about, um, you know, what's the, the right way to use technology in our stores um, where um, there historically have been um, a lot of things like magic mirrors and things that it kind of are, um, we feel are, are a bit gimmicky, but aren't solving a real problem. And so um, as much as possible, we want technology to kind of blend in the background, um, but, um, uh, but uh, be used in ways that uh, that help enhance the, the customer journey. Well, Dave and Neil, you've been very generous with your time. I'll close where I started. Congrats on your success. We're thrilled to be a small part of it, and um, congratulations, and, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your friendship. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part, or disclosed by any recipient to any other person. 
The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the recipient. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty, express or implied, as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any recipient is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that recipient, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity. This podcast was recorded on February 26, 2019.